this is Tony Blazer for the Motocross Vault presented by Blinzall. If you're in the market for some high-quality racing oil for your two-stroke or four, make sure you go to Blinzall.com and use our discount code VAULT20 to save 20% at checkout. Thank you for all the support. Hello and welcome back to the Motocross Vault. My name is Tony Blazer, and what this video is going to cover is a look back at Honda's all-new 1989 CR125. Now, I have not owned this machine personally. I did have uh, the 89 YZ125. A good buddy of mine had the 89KX, and another one had the 89RM125. So I've ridden all the competitors this year. I did own a 1990 CR125, and I had an 87 as well, and I have ridden the 88. So I've ridden a lot of the bikes in this year. I was big into 125s, always have been, and uh, I'm very familiar with this machine in general and a lot of its competitors. But this was a great era for Honda. My 87 was super fast. This 89 runs very similar. That means not a lot of low-end torque, but a really strong mid-range and top-end pull. They just pulled to the moon. Uh, they didn't certainly didn't have the snap of the RMs or the YZ in this era, but uh, if you were a pro rider, they were the best bike. You can see in the Nationals at this time, everybody's riding Hondas because the stock machine was faster than you could make like a, a modified RM. It just in stock condition, this thing was that fast. In 89, though, this is a year where some of the stuff got better, some of it got worse. Uh, the 87 uh, forks, were basically the same going through 88 and 89 in terms of the 43 millimeter cartridge forks. They were really, really great in 87 and 88, but in 89, Honda made some changes to the settings that didn't probably work as well. Um, and then they at least did dodge the bullet of going to the inverted design, which the 500 and 250 got in 89. When they went to that uh, Shawa inverted 45 millimeter fork, they were much worse in performance. So although the 125 didn't have the best forks in this year, they were certainly better than what you would have gotten on the bigger bikes. The new layout this year has the, the low boy style bodywork, which had been debuted the year before on the CR250. That is much more narrow through the midsection, uh, lowers the center of gravity. Really good looking machine. They're very comfortable. My 90, uh, aside from the color change back to the orange, has got the exact same bodywork. And it was a great, great machine in terms of the comfort on the bike. I loved riding it. Super fun. You just had to gear it down or be really fast to make the motor work, though. It wasn't the best novice engine. Again, my buddy's 89 on 125 was way easier to ride, so much more snap, uh, but it just kind of fell down right when the CR was getting going. So just a different style of power. You'll notice back in these days, unlike today where the bikes are all much more similar, there was a huge difference in what the manufacturers were going for in terms of the way their bikes ran, the way they felt, the suspension performance. There was a huge variation. So the bikes just had more personality. And the CR certainly was the pro-focused machine here in 1989. If you like this sort of thing, you want to check out some of the other videos I've done. I've done retrospectives on many other uh, motocross and off-road machines, including a, a total rundown of the history of the CR250 from its inception in 73 until its demise. I just did one on the Suzuki Open Class bikes. And my last video was on the history of the 4Trax 250R. If you're into ATVs, I cover ATVs as well. If you'd like to support what I do, I have Motocross Vault merch available. I have all kinds of designs, including a couple of CR125 designs if you're looking for Honda. But I have merch that uh, covers, you know, Suzuki, Kawasaki, even KTM. A little bit of everything on my store. And if you'd like to support what I do, I'll put a link in the video here and a card as well. So here, without further ado, is a look back at Honda's awesome 1989 CR125. Today, parity is the name of the game in motocross. While there are certainly some bikes that are better at certain things than others, the days of truly terrible machines are largely in the past. That was certainly not the case in the early days of motocross, when there was often a massive gulf between the best and worst machines available. Nowhere was this discrepancy more stark than in the mid-80s, where riding anything else but a Honda amounted to an instant handicap. The red machines were the fastest, sharpest handling, and best suspended bikes on the track. 
1986 and 1987, they were head and shoulders better than the other machines in their classes and swept the shootout rankings in a romp. In 1987, Big Red seemed all but invincible, but all of that came crashing to a stop in 1988. A polarizing new design in the 250 class and a mellowed out power band for their 125 had the once invincible CRs looking very vulnerable in their new blood red livery. In 1987, the CR125R had been the rocket of the class and far and away the best bike available. Unfortunately, however, the little Honda was also the victim of a rash of high-profile motor failures that gave the always reliability-conscious manufacturer a bit of a black eye. For 1988, Honda tried to step up the reliability of their 8th-liter powerhouse by reworking the cylinder, modifying the piston, and lowering the compression. While this did rectify most of its reliability issues, it also mellowed out the previously potent power band. The 88CR was still considered by many the best overall 125 available, but the new mellower power band was less of a hit with fans. Its long and drawn out power band lacked some of the hit of the 87 motor and was less fun to ride overall. For 1989, Honda looked to recapture some of that 87 magic with a majorly revised 125 package. First on the to-do list for 1989 was getting the punch back in the little 124.8cc mill. In order to accomplish this, Honda went back to the basic design they had used in 1987. The new cylinder mimicked the 87's porting and bumped the compression back up to its 87 levels. The new cylinder retained the 1988's Automatic Torque Amplification Chamber, or ATAC, system, but altered its functionality by closing it 500 RPMs later and made it to an all-new low-boy exhaust system. Finally, an all-new ignition was bolted up to bring a little bit of hit back to the motor. In 1987 and 1988, the CR125 had suffered from leaks at the reed valve, which had caused the machine to run lean and caused seizures on some bikes. For 89, Honda spec'd an all-new reed valve that offered better sealing to prevent this from happening. They also moved to Nicosil for the cylinder lining for 1989. This had been introduced in 1986 on the CR250 and offered longer life and better heat transfer characteristics than an iron liner. The piston was also beefed up with deeper oil channels for better lubrication and cooling and added a new plating for the wrist pin hole in an effort to reduce the failures that had plagued the CR125 the previous two years. Both the large and small end bearings at the connecting rod were increased in size, and the overall motor was slightly wider and larger for 1989. In the transmission, the first and second gears were lowered for quicker response, and all the cogs were slightly wider for better durability. To go with the new motor package, Honda spec'd an all-new chassis for the Red Rooster in 89. When designing the new frame, Honda looked to maintain their class-leading steering prowess, but hoped to improve rider comfort by taming some of the machine's notoriously vicious head shake. The new chassis featured a larger steering head tube and increased gussing at all the junctions for less flex and a half degree less trail than 1988. For 1989, the CR125 also adopted the 88CR's new low boy layout and new Delta Link shock linkage. The shock itself was all new and bolted to an entirely redesigned swing arm and linkage. Unlike the larger CR250 and CR500, the 125 and 89 continued to use the 43mm conventional Shawa forks that had been in use since 1987. While similar design to the 1988 forks, the new forks were 10mm shorter to accommodate the new frame and featured new valving inside. The new bodywork for 89 increased rider comfort by slimming the pilot compartment considerably and offering a longer and sleeker seating position. Most people found the bike very comfortable, although some taller riders did think the new ergonomics were slightly cramped for an 89. So what did all this redesigning, massaging, and reworking amount to? A great CR125, yes, but not quite the second coming of the amazing 1987 machine. The new bike did accomplish one goal, however. The beloved CR125's power was back in spades. The new machine was an absolute rocket and blew the doors off of most of its 89 competition. 
It was much faster than the Mellow 88 machine and a substantial improvement for anyone above the novice class. Low-end power was not particularly strong, but the machine was awesomely fast once it got on the power band. From the mid-range on up, it just kept pulling until the cows came home. On top end, it was by far the fastest machine in the class, and if the track was wide open, you were not going to catch the shrieking CR125. Power was soft down low before exploding into the mid-range and blasting to an ear-splitting top-end shriek. Once it was on the pipe, no other 125 could keep the red machine in sight. It pulled harder and longer than any other machine in the class, and it was able to do in one gear what would take two shifts on a green, yellow, or white machine. While the redesigned CR was unquestionably the fastest machine in the class, it was not without its drawbacks. Chief among these was the difficulty in keeping the red machine in the meat of its power band. For fast guys, this is not a problem, but mere mortals could find the power band somewhat difficult to use. The machine's low-end response was poor, and a simple twist of the wrist was not enough to get the high-strung Honda back on the pipe. For novices, the Honda could be quite frustrating, and the bike was prone to bogging between shifts if it was not sufficiently wrung out. A couple of teeth in the rear sprocket and a commitment to locking the right wrist were the best cures for this case of the bogs. While the CR was fast, its piping nature made it a handful for slower riders. For them, the much more responsive RM or YZ was probably a better choice in 89. In the chassis department, the CR may have been all new, but it remained basically the same bike it had been since 1983. Sharp in the corners, light in the air, and terrifying at speed. The new low boy layout offered a much flatter seating position, with the seat being 5mm higher through the middle and 8mm lower at the back. The bars were also moved 5mm forward for 89 in an effort to give taller riders a little more room. The new tank was narrower to improve rider comfort and sat lower on the frame to improve weight distribution. The radiators and exhaust were also moved down on the bike in order to centralize mass and improve handling for 1989. On the track, the new CR was an absolute scalpel in the turns. Front end traction and response were excellent and the CR was by far the best machine on hard pack slick turns. In the sand and in deep loam, both the new RM and much improved KX could give the CR a run for its money, but when traction was zero, the Honda was the best. At speed, the Honda continued to be busy and unsettled, with a nasty head shake under deceleration. With the new Suzuki 125 adopting the Honda's preference for carving over stability in 89, there were only two choices available in the 125 class for someone who wanted their machine to be stable at speed. In 1989, front end rigidity was becoming the buzz phrase of the day and inverted forks were just starting to become in vogue. While only Yamaha decided to spec their 125 with upside-down forks in 1989, both Kawasaki and Suzuki beefed up their front ends with larger 46mm conventional designs. These larger sliders were less prone to flex and more precise under heavy loads. With Yamaha moving to an inverted fork and Suzuki and Kawasaki upgrading their front ends, CR pilots were left with the unenviable position of having the flexiest forks in the class in 1989. While these undersized forks were certainly a small handicap, the real problem with their performance was their setup from the factory. As delivered, the CR shower forks were too stiff initially and prone to deflecting on small bumps. Sharp impacts really unsettled the front end and prevented the bike from taking a set in rough turns. On big hits and jumps, the forks performed pretty well, but on the holes and chop common to a motocross circuit, they were harsh and unforgiving. Under heavy loads, the CR's forks felt less precise, and the increased flex compared to its competitors was noted by all the testers. Two years earlier, these forks were unquestionably the best forks in motocross, but in the ultra-fast moving world of 1980s motocross, they were quickly being left behind. Outback, Honda decided to go with an all-new suspension design for 1989. The engineers ditched the fade-prone piggyback shock of 88 in favor of an all-new milk bottle-style Shawa shock and redesigned Pro-Link linkage. The new linkage had made its debut in 1988 on the redesigned CR250R and was designed to provide better control on large hits and supercross-style obstacles. 
1988, it had met with tepid approval by those not named Rick Johnson, and that trend had continued for 1989. The rear suspension was harsh on small impacts and much happier blitzing whoops than soaking up stutter bumps. If ridden aggressively, it did a decent job of taming the track, but chuck holes and chop were not in its vocabulary. Just as with the forks and motor, the shock worked better for faster guys than novices and punished those who dared to back off the throttle. On the detailing front, the Honda continued to be the class of the field in 1989. Plastic quality, fit and feel were all top-notch, with excellent ergonomics and the best seat in the class. Bolt selection and quality continued to be the best in the 125 division, and the Sierra was the easiest bike to tear down and work on. Both the slick-shifting transmission and excellent clutch were tops in the field and helped keep the red rocket roosting. In the braking department, the CR continued to offer the best levers, which were comfortable forged and then twice as strong as the competition, the best feel, most power, and least maintenance hassles. Overall, the CR proved to be the most durable 125 of 1989. The reliability enhancements seemed to make a real difference, and the bike was largely bulletproof. Piston and motor life were excellent, and the machine suffered very few of the issues that had been a problem the previous two years. While the bike was pretty bulletproof overall, there were a few small quibbles, however. Clutch abusers found that the basket could notch out over time, and some riders suffered problems with wheel bearing freeze-ups if they were neglected. Also, Honda did recall a batch of cylinders mid-year over Nicosil issues, but for the most part, the CR was very trouble-free. In 1989, Honda unleashed the ultimate 125 Pro race bike. It was blazing fast, turned amazingly, and set up for attacking the track. If you backed off the throttle, it was going to punish you, but if you had the skill and cojones to keep it pinned, there was no better machine for collecting trophies in 1989. So there you have it. That's a look back at Honda's 89 CR125, a machine that was excellent if you were fast enough to make it work. I think if you were less skilled, the suspension, the motor was probably a little more frustrating for you. Uh, again, I always put a couple of teeth on the rear sprocket just to help it uh, get out of turns a little easier. And I do remember when I'd ride one of my buddy's bikes like that RM125, it was like, holy crap, it was so much easier to get it out of turns. But the CR had kind of required you to carry momentum. It was a good machine to teach you the, the basics of uh, carrying momentum on a 125. It was like the most 125 of 125 machines. There's just not a lot of grunt there. You had to use revs, but once it was on the pipe, that thing was a rocket. They were fast motorcycles, and I really loved mine. I was very, very competitive on it. I enjoyed the motorcycle overall. It just took a little different style of riding. Uh, you know, if you were coming down from a 250 or something, it was probably a little, a little more difficult to get accustomed to the complete lack of low end, uh, but if you were fast enough to keep it on the pipe, it was an awesome motorcycle. Uh, if you like this sort of thing, check out some of the other videos I've done. If you could share on social media, uh, let your friends and neighbors know about the channel, I would very much appreciate it. Uh, if you have any ideas for future videos, please feel free to leave a comment in the section below. I do read them all, and I take that under advisement when I'm looking at the next video to do. So until we meet again, this is Tony Blaze from the Motocross Vault. Keep the rubber side down. Peace. <laughs>